Thank you, thank you. So great to be here today with you, Panthers. I think it's been three or four years since I was up here, so should have a whole new crowd here. If you've heard me tell this before, we'll just relax. Uh, anyway, it, uh, I want to tell you about the two most defining times of my life. I'm going to be brief on one of them because I want to tell you something you've never heard before in the other sector. So this represents the first most defining time. Don't be bashful, don't be, if you have never held an Olympic gold medal and you want to see one up close, please do. This has uh, traveled with me all over the world. It's been around the necks of prime ministers in Africa, presidents, little kids in the Congo. I've had such fun taking it around the world with me. I'll tell you now, at, at 19, which is how old I was when I won this, at 19, you have a worry. You worry that I wonder if these people think my ego is too big. At 82, I don't care. <laughs> and, and, but it's not. As a matter of fact, a man took me aside one day years ago uh, in my 20s, and he said, Earl, he said, it seems like whenever somebody compliments you on that medal, you say, uh, oh, thanks, I was lucky, you know, that all shucks, uh, Gomer Pyle type of, type of coach. He said, didn't you work hard for that? I said, yeah, I did. He said, then why don't you just look them straight in the eye, give them a firm handshake, and say, thank you. I worked hard for that. I just gave you some great advice. Never forget that. Things that you do in life and that you've worked for in life, your education, whatever, thank you. Learn to take thank you. It's important. Taking thank you is just as important as giving, giving someone a compliment. And some of us have to learn it. I had to learn it. I hope I got it now. Uh, actually, this uh, give you the, the background on this. Uh, I was a 19-year-old sophomore at Abilene Christian when I won this. I won it in Rome in 1960. So uh, the great Cassius Clay uh, had one just like this, uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, Jerry West, the great basketball player for the Lakers, Jerry had one like that. I think there were 10 of us that uh, uh, left Rome with one of those in track and field in 1960. Uh, I'm still at, at, uh, at uh, age 19, I'm still the 11th youngest U.S. track and field uh, participant. And especially for some of you that may be into track and field and understand times, and I'm not saying you all don't all understand times, but... I had an interesting, that was an interesting segment in life. Here I am in high school, San Fernando, California, 17 years old. I ran the 440 in 46.6. Not bad, but in Southern California, a long ways from Wooden City, I got second in the Valley. I ended up being invited to go into Abilene Christian. And the next year, in that 49.6, I ran 46.6. That's because the body grew. I had three more inches in height. The body could handle the work. And then a year later, I was standing on the winter stand in Rome. So from high school in 49.6 to Rome and gold in two years. Again, that's not an ego. That's not a brag. That just isn't that interesting. That's an unusual story. And it happened to me. Uh, 
I'll say one other thing to you about, about my athletic background. I have an awesome body. Again, this guy's ego sure is squeaking out here. But did you ever think about this? I had nothing to do with it. This is a gift from God. Now, God made me fast. Do I believe that? Like I believe the sun came up in the morning and shining on us right now. Absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt. My gift of speed came from the Father. Wow. What a gift. And that, that's mine. I did that. But I did it because of his gift. And I want to tell you now, I get to look back over life as I pray you'll get to do one day. And you begin to see the Father in ways that you didn't see him at the time. You see where he's bringing you. What I'm going to tell you about today, about cancer and blood cancer, this is my purpose. I have had to go eight decades to figure out my purpose. And it all adds up to my purpose. I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. And as I was mentioning a while ago, here I am at 82, blessed with going out, doing what I'm doing. That's as good as it gets, folks. I pray the same for you. It takes a while to find your purpose sometimes. Some people know it early. We work with a lot of student nurses in the universities we go to. We student nurses run the drives on many occasions. And I love to ask student nurses when they decide to become a a nurse. And so many times, it's well, I was five years old, I was six years old, my aunt, my aunt had uh, cancer. It's like they get to know their purpose way earlier than other folks get to. But don't ever doubt that you have a purpose. You're created by the Father in heaven. He makes no mistakes and he gives gifts like crazy. You don't just get one gift. You get lots of gifts. Be looking for them. Pay attention to them. They're there for a reason. It was uh, 2011. Uh, a dear friend of mine, a uh, very famous doctor now, he's invented the most secure way to find, uh, most effective way to cure migraines. And uh, we were taking his procedure and going around to pain physicians and uh, monetizing the approach. Anyway, we were traveling a lot, working a lot. I still had my African uh, gig going. And uh, so things were busy. And I got this sniffling cough that I couldn't get rid of. Now, in Dallas, Texas, and in Texas, in the fall, and probably up here, those of you with allergy know exactly what I'm saying. You get that cough. You get that sniffle. But it, as time goes on, it, it wears off. Well, this one wouldn't wear off. It was a little strange. So I made an appointment with my GP, went in and sat, sat in the cross from him. And uh, he's looking at his file. And he said, Earl, you haven't been in here in four years. I said, you're doing fine. Just a sniffle and cough I need to get rid of. He said, well, I need to keep up. You, know, you need to come in every year. Let me, you know, get some time. Have you got time now? Sure. So I go back and do an EKG, et cetera, blood test and so on. I'm walking down the hall, getting ready to leave. And he's walking up the hall. And he said, wow, I thought you'd already left. Uh, come in my office. Went in his office, sat down across from him. And he said, Earl, you don't feel bad? Now, looking back, I see some things differently. But my comment then was, just a sniffle and cough, you know. And I'm thinking, he's thinking shots and pills. And uh, He said, well, you should feel bad. He said, your white factory is shut down. He said, you're very low on whites and, you know, and of course, that's your immune system. Uh, 
And I said, well, what are we going to do? Thinking again, shots, pills. He said, uh, I had called across the street. I thought when I thought you were gone, I had called across the street to Texas Oncology and made an appointment. Uh, I want you to take this file. I'll call over there again. An oncologist will meet you at the door. I go across the street. And sure enough, an oncologist meets me at the door. How's that for concierge? I hand him the, the file. He looks at it and he says, uh, Mr. Young, this is not good. He said, uh, we need to do a bone marrow biopsy. Now, starting right there, you probably know more about it than I did at that time. I didn't know what a bone marrow biopsy was. They said, the doctor said, we need to do it. Go back in, uh, uh, in the procedure room. They put a needle in your hip, take some fluid out. I go to the waiting room. In a while, his assistant comes and gets me, and I'm sitting down across from a second white coat that day. Only this time, he said, Mr. Young, I have some bad news. He said, uh, you have acute myeloid leukemia with an FLT3 mutation. So <laughs> I had no idea what that meant. He knew I didn't. But he said, uh, do you know anything about blood cancer? I said, hardly know how, how to spell leukemia. He said, let me explain a bit to you. He did. And he ended that explanation with, and you have the worst, which if you want to envision it, it's the bad Pac-Man eating the good Pac-Man as fast as they can. That's the way I saw it. And I knew the next question, like you would. I said, how long do I have? He said, maybe three months. Wow. That day started off just maybe like yours did, coffee, a roll, everything going on, planning the day out by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. An oncologist telling me I'm going to be dead in three days. His, his bedside manner was better than that. But that was, that was the bottom line. He said, now, uh, that's if we do nothing. Okay, here we go. That's if we do nothing. Now, we can put you on chemo and meds and see how long your body will last. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. Or we can, a bone marrow transplant is the only cure. Why didn't he start with a bone marrow transplant? But he didn't. He left the good to last. He said, now, what would you like to do? Well, maybe HIPAA forces him to ask that question, but it was a no-brainer for me. Hey, I want the transplant. What I didn't hear, and what I didn't just say to you, what he really said to me was, we may be able to get you a bone marrow transplant. At that time, 71-year-old guys were on the top side on getting a transplant. Why? Because you don't waste transplants. And I want to tell you, the recovery is a slice of hell. I don't know how else to explain it. It's the toughest thing I ever did in my life. You do, you do go through the recovery the same. For me to die is gain because it's, if you're not going to make it, uh, you just soon get on with it. So anyway, what I, I said, let's do a transplant. He said, uh, Baylor Hospital or Medical City. I said, Medical City. He said, okay, head over there. We're going to start chemo in the morning. Wait a minute. I need to go home and explain to my family. <laughs> what has just come about. So I did that, checked in that night, started chemo the next morning, pretty much lived on the fourth, excuse me, 11th floor of Medical City Hospital in Dallas for four months, taking four rounds of chemo. And of course, the chemo totally destroys your immune system, so you have no immune system during that time. And the reason they give you four rounds is they want to get every cell. If there's one hiding out behind a tree, they want to kill it because you don't want any of the bad guys left once you bring the good guys in. 
In Offenburg, Germany, two weeks before this occasion for me, a lady named Christine Wagg signed up to become a bone marrow donor, a stem cell donor. I didn't know at that time that only four, please, please pay attention to this, only four out of 10 people who could have further life with a transplant find a match. Six people die because there's no match available. Only 2% of the United States between 18 and 55 are registered. What we're asking you to do today are registered to be donors, which means those six people that pass away probably never heard what you, uh, their donors never heard what you heard today. Their donors walking down the street having no idea that somebody in the hospital could have further life if they would have just signed up to be a, a donor. It's life and death we're here talking about. You make the choice, by the way. It's your choice. This is your choice as to whether you volunteer to help someone who's going to die if they don't have a transplant. In Offenburg, Germany, Christine Wagg, two weeks before I was diagnosed, signed up to be a donor. And as it turned out, Christine was the only match out of 22 million on file for my need. Had Christine not become a bone marrow donor, you wouldn't be hearing this message from me. I would have already gone to a better place. I firmly believe that. On January 21st, excuse me, January 20th, 2012, Christine went to a hospital in Dresden, Germany, into a room where they put a needle in like I'd like a transfusion, put a needle in her arm, her blood flowed into a centrifuge, spinning out her stem cells. They brought those stem cells to the Frankfurt airport, flew directly to DFW, came up to my room, and plugged into me. It was almost midnight, January 20th. And Christine entered my body, a body that had no immune system. Her system came in to take it over. By the way, if you check my blood, it's no longer B male, it is O female. We kid guys about women taking our lives over. Hey, look at here. I mean, I'm the, I'm the whole nine yards. Anyway, it, uh, I have a great metaphor that in my life because of that event, and I want to share it with you. I always share it because it's mine, and I'm blessed with it. And that is the way that Christine came into me, and it's now her immune system in here, keeping me alive, keeping this body alive for 11 years, and doing a whale of a job at it. Think of that in the same way that Christ offers to come into your life and handle your life the same way. I think it's a, I think it's a great metaphor, a great comparison. And I promise you, uh, both, of them, both of them work. It's pretty awesome. I will tell you that uh, before I had this, this occasion in my life, I thought I was a Christian. And it's nothing that I did. I didn't say, God, let me live and I'll be a good guy. I was a good guy. I am a good guy. I am a moral person. This isn't about morality. This is about a relationship with God. 
You'd be an atheist if you know. But something happened to me, and my faith has grown, and you would have met a lukewarm Christian 11 years ago. Do not confuse me with that today. I am nothing lukewarm. Test yourself at all times. Do not be lukewarm for crying out loud. It's a lousy way to live. It's a lie. It's really like having nothing. But representing yourself to other people. Uh, get it, get it, get it down, get it true. Ask him for faith. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for anything. He'll, he'll give it to you. But make sure you really validly believe in Jesus the Christ. I told you a while ago that the, uh, the recovery is, is terrible. Recovery is, yeah, you, you know what exhaustion is? This is way beyond exhaustion, way beyond exhaustion. And you say to the Father, it's like, it's like Paul did, for me to die is gain. Uh, um, it, it, uh, finally, finally, it begins to lift. Uh, uh, you begin to see that you are going to make it. And then you say, what are you going to do the rest of your life? You can't be running back and forth to Africa. Africa has a totally uh, abundant set of parasites that your body's don't place over here. A compromised immune system would be crazy running back and forth over there. And then I begin to think on what I told you a while ago. Four out of ten, six people. Could you do any good for those six people? And then I thought about this as an attraction. Then I thought about ten Church of Christ schools where I knew I could get in like I'm with y'all today. And they let me begin to tell the story. Now we've gone to hundreds of universities, faith-based or not. The reason I like faith-based is I get to tell you this story. But we also get to talk to track teams, to football teams, et cetera, to get the word out there. We haven't changed that 2% figure. We haven't changed that 4 out of 10 figure. But we're working on it. We're working on it. And this year, it's been a one-man show now for six years, and now we're beginning to hire staff. We've finally grown to a point where we can grow, and we're going to have some impact. We're talking with the Olympic Committee about doing some things. It's awareness. People don't know what you've heard today. Some of you didn't know what I told you today. I would venture the majority. But we're talking life and death. We're talking people in need. And let me tell you, as a donor, you don't risk anything. As a matter of fact, uh, if you are chosen as a, as a match, we send you to the collection location, a hospital, where they do that procedure I told you about that you cringed on, because <laughs> not everybody likes a needle stuck in them. I know that. But hey, the great thing about it, I had a young lady call me it's been three years ago from Abilene Christian. She said, Earl, she said, I, I, I've been, I'm a match. I'm a match. By the way, we've had 92 matches. We've registered 22,000 people. We've had 92 matches, 92 people. And this one was a baby. And we flew her up to Georgetown where she did the collection. And she saved a baby for, for a, a needle stick in the arm. Wow. That's awesome, isn't it? We've had two uh, from the early, early drive here Four years ago, I think, four or five, we've had two matches from students out of, out of uh, York. And I pray that we have one, two, three, four, pray that we have abundance out of this group. Folks, I, I thank you so much for letting 
me tell you this story. Dear Father, I thank you for this opportunity, Father. I thank you for those present. Thank you that I was able to tell them a story and about how you were involved in my story, Father. So involved. Bless York. Bless these students. Father, we pray that we find matches here. And Father, we pray that hearts are open to understand that we're here to help our fellow man. Bless this day for all of us, Father. In Christ's holy name, amen.